listening to the ESPN New York Tonight podcast with Larry Hardesty on 98.7 ESPN. Along with JP, Giselle, and Kyrie, we're here until midnight. Then it's Sports Center all night on 98.7 ESPN. How are you this Wednesday? If you're driving right now, be careful. Stormy weather, rainy, hot, humid. It's the summertime in the Big Apple, right? And that's the way we are. At the bottom of the hour, Ritz Catino will join us. He'll update us on the situation with the Met pitching staff that got a little worse today because of uh, Marcus Stroman being placed on the IL. Ritz Catino will join us, break down the latest, what are some of the options, also the issues in the bullpen, what's going to happen with this, with the lineup, all these things. And uh, <laughs> Luis Rojas, welcome to the big leagues, my friend. <laughs> So we'll talk about that. Of course, we'll have top stories and we'll have our hospital shout out in the next hour. But I want to start with the New York Yankees. And our Twitter poll question, which is up right now, at Hardesty ESPN, at ESPN NY 98 underscore 7 FM. What defines a successful debut for Garrett Cole tomorrow? What defines a successful debut for Garrett Cole tomorrow. Is it domination? Seven plus innings, no earned runs, 10 plus strikeouts. Is it a quality start? Six innings, three earned runs, five Ks. Or do you just want to get a win? Or since it's really about what he does in October, just wake you when the regular season is done. <laughs> so those are your choices, right? At heart, it's the ESPN at ESPN NY 98 underscore 7 FM. Or you can call me as well at 1-800-919-3776 and let me know what you think about uh, the uh, Twitter poll question tonight. 1-800-919-3776. Everybody who, well, I won't say everybody. That's not right. Most Yankee fans are really into watching what Garrett Cole is going to be about, right? Garrett Cole is the ace that the Yankees have been looking for. We've talked about it week after week after week, day after day. This is the big ticket item for the Yankees. This is the difference maker for them at the top of their rotation. And listen, when you understand that they've had injuries in the pitching rotation, okay, uh, you know, you would be looking now to figure out who's going to be that person that takes the ball every fifth day. And I know he's going to dominate and go out there and do it and do what he's supposed to do. And that in previous years has been what Garrett Cole has been about. Okay. That's his makeup. That's what he brings to the table. That's why you're paying him the humongous bucks, okay? Obviously, you know, you thought Luis Severino was going to be available, not available with the elbow injury. Masahiro Tanaka, not going to be available maybe the first one or two times around the rotation. James Paxton, okay, has injuries, showed you some things last year. All right, had a big moment in the postseason. Big moment. But 
Are you sure what he's going to bring to the table when he returns from injury? And of course, there's Jordan Montgomery. So you have a number of options here. But to start the season, you've been waiting, you've been looking, you've been watching him in the uh, pre-pre, I won't call it summer camp, I'll call it (laughs) pre-pre-season. And the exhibition games, and let's face it, he's looked dominant. He has. Now, you don't base it, you don't say, oh, well, we know what's going to happen. We got it. It's definite. This is the guy we're locked into based on what you've seen in the preseason. Because we know that pitchers are ahead of hitters. We understand that. But when you have a guy, a stud pitcher like Cole, who has done well in so many statistical categories, okay? His walk to strikeout ratio is incredible. Doesn't hurt himself. Doesn't give up a lot of home runs. Minimal hits. Lots of strikeouts. Okay? Fields his position well. He is an outstanding pitcher. And as a Yankee fan, I'm sure you've been waiting for this opportunity to see what he brings to the table for you. All right? For you. You know what he did in Houston? You know what he did in Pittsburgh before that? But now this is the guy that you craved. This is the guy that you want at the top of your rotation. This is the guy that could be a difference maker. And with Araldus Chapman suffering from COVID-19 and not in the lineup as a closer, not available to you, Here's an opportunity for you to have a guy that can go deep into games where you get to kind of save your bullpen, curtail your bullpen a little bit. So that's what he brings to the table. And yeah, I know he's not facing the quote world series lineup unquote that the Washington nationals put out last year. Not fully. I mean, Rendon's not there. There's a number of other players who aren't there. Understood. But they pitch very well. And as I said last night, pitching keeps you in games. And so tomorrow, in the game you can hear right here on 98.7 ESPN, tomorrow, that's where you are watching to see one part of this is what does Cole bring to the table in the season opener in a big spot. The other part of this equation is not left up to Cole. The other part of this equation is, will this Yankee offense live up to their capabilities right away? Aaron Judge has looked good. Stanton's looked okay. Torres has looked good. DJ LeMay, who's going to be available. So when you look up and down this lineup, And you look at the power. I'm sure a lot of you, Yankee fans, are always concerned, especially as you look towards the end of the season. But right now, I'm sure you're concerned about the fact that you love the home run, but you really want your your offense to be diverse. You want your offense to be able to make contact. You want your offense not to just live live and die by the long ball. So that's going to be interesting to see how that goes starting tomorrow night as well. Listen, 
I'm not trying to poo-poo the Yankees' ability to hit the long ball, not by a long shot. But as your eyes gear towards the postseason, as your eyes understand that when you get to the postseason and the pitching is better, the long ball is not always going to be your best option. Will you see the guys do what they need to do? Will they take the ball the opposite way? Will they shorten their swing with two strikes? Will they do the things necessary to make contact in a lineup that is very deep to keep the train moving and move up and down the lineup and just keep it going? So if Stanton doesn't get it, okay, then Sanchez gets it. All right? If Sanchez doesn't get it, Hicks gets it. If Hicks doesn't get it, Voigt gets it. All right, that's what you want in your offense. That's what it's going to take for this team to beat the Los Angeles Dodgers if, in, if indeed they meet in the World Series. You are listening to the ESPN New York Tonight podcast with Larry Hardesty on 98.7 ESPN. My guest right now to try to cheer me up after a tough day with the Mets. He is our Met Beat reporter for 98.7 ESPN. You can also find him in New York Extra, his great writing as well. Join me in welcoming Rich Catino to ESPN New York tonight. Hey, Rich. Hey, Larry. How are you, my friend? Always good I'm, to be on with you. Same here. Good to, good to talk to you, as always. All right, Rich. Let's start with the, the latest on the Marcus Stroman uh, on the IL. This is not good for a starting rotation that's already a little shallow. I would say so. And, you know, you wonder what's going through Luis Rojas's mind. When he took this job, he had a starting rotation of DeGrom, Syndergaard, Stroman, Waka, Purcello, and Mats. He had six starting pitchers that he can utilize. So what happens in spring training early? Syndergaard goes down with the Tommy John surgery. So now he's down to five starters, which he – figured is not a depth of six, but that's why you have a six starter. So you can hopefully supplant what you're missing from Syndergaard. Although I think it's very, very difficult to replace what Noah Syndergaard brings to a rotation. Today, um, the left calf tear, um, Stroman. And, and the weird thing about this is we're told it happened on a Friday intra-squad game where he had a comeback or come back to him. I gotta be honest, with you, I don't even remember that play. But mm. you know, I'm I'm getting old now. Maybe my memory's fading. But mm. you know, with the injuries, you always have to kind of take it and kind of dissect it a little bit. No pun intended. Um, and he had some discomfort in his bullpen session. The discomfort continued, and then they went for an MRI and saw that there was the tear. Mm-hmm. Now. The question remains, what do you do with the spot in the rotation? Well, first of all, he had to change his weekend rotation um, against the Braves, the first weekend series. Obviously, DeGrom pitches the opener. Now, Stephen Matz pitches game two, and game, game three is going to be pitched by Rick Porcello. Mm-hmm. The next two games, the Mets are in Boston, Fenway Park against the Red Sox. They have that four-game series where the first two are in Boston, and then they come back to the field to play the next two. Um, that first game, I'm sure Michael Locke is going to take the mound for the Mets on the Monday night game. Now, the Tuesday night, that's where the big decision comes, okay? 
what do you do? Do you bring someone up like a Peterson or a Corey Oswalt? Um, or do you look to Seth Lugo? And my opinion on this is Seth Lugo has proven that he can help the Mets in a starting rotation. I got news for people. The Mets don't make the playoffs in 2016 without Seth Lugo's contribution as a member of that rotation when the Mets needed him in August and September of 2016. Mm -hmm. So I'm not talking about anything that I think Seth Lugo could do. I've already seen him do it. Now, he's not stretched out enough to be a starting pitcher. How do you you command that? Well, in my humble opinion, what you do is in that fifth game of the season, you pitch him as an opener. You pitch him an inning or two. Then the next rotation start, you pitch him maybe two or three innings. And you stretch him out using the opening role to stretch him. Now, you're going to have to go to the bullpen a lot in those games where he stretches. But by the time he gets through the rotation three, maybe four times, I think he'll be stretched out enough that he can have a normal 85 to 100 pitch effort. To me, that's the only decision here. You know, it's a truncated season, Larry. It's a 60-game season, and I, I wouldn't want every fifth day to bring a guy like Peterson there, Oswald, that I think they have ability. I think they have potential. But they'll be in over their heads in a, in a truncated season. If this is a 162-game season, I might be willing to live with that. But to me, because of that, you got to go to Lugo. And the other thing about it that I know because I've talked to Lugo about that he really wants to be a starting pitcher. Now, we know that him and Justin Wilson were the only two positive forces in that Met bullpen last year. Mm-hmm. But you're counting on the trio, Batantis, Diaz, and Familia, one or two of them the rebounds. And if one or two of them rebounds, you have the depth there, you could put Lugo in the rotation. And you could put Lugo back in the bullpen once Stroman comes back. Right now, the Mets are not talking about surgery for Stroman. But I know a little bit about this injury because I have friends who are doctors that get paid a lot more than I do, Larry, but Mm -hmm. I'm able to call them and ask them advice. And they said to me, this is a four to six week rehab at best. But they have said that after four to six weeks, if the calf's not responding, you might have to consider surgery. So to me, this is not a short term replacement for him in the rotation it's at least a one to two month and when you thought about a 60 game season you might see marcus stroman you know in september yeah and i just if i'm luis rojas i don't want to give the ball every fifth day to someone who i'm not even sure is ready to be in the major leagues much less perform at the high level that he'd be asked to perform at so to me Mm-hmm. Go ahead. You stretch him out. You stretch Lugo out in openers, and I think you use him as a tough starter, Larry. It's a tough situation for Stroman, who's going to be a free agent next season. So mm-hmm. now, you know, this affects him affects him even more. Rich, you, you mentioned about Seth Lugo coming out of that bullpen, and that was my concern uh, because, obviously, Robert Gesellman's not available because you might be able to move him into the starting rotation because he's had some success there as well. So do you think that – that bullpen can afford to lose Seth Luga. Bullpens are like our children at a young age. They're either very good or very bad, but they always test your patience. <laughs> and bullpens are that way. And you look at this bullpen and you say, is there ability in that bullpen? 
Yes, there is. You know, Justin Wilson, I think you have a sure, more than a left-handed specialist because his cut fastball works great against right-handed power hitters as well. But that trio of Familia, Diaz, and Betances, if you can get two of them to rebound, and I, I, I'll tell you, in watching Diaz and Camp, and again, I'm trying not to buy too much of what I see in spring training. Mm-hmm. A famous scout once said to me, Rich, never buy what you see in March or September. Um, but, of course, the months are all screwed up now this year anyway, so really it's, don't buy what you see in July or September, I guess. Yeah. Um, but my point is that you know Diaz is throwing his fastball much more than his slider, and I thought going into the offseason that was the biggest problem with Diaz. It was from the neck up, not realizing that his fastball is one of the best in the business. And his slider isn't a bad pitch, it's a good pitch, but it's not a great pitch. And to me, he has to throw that fastball more. And he's done that in summer camp. And I've seen that. I've seen the high riding on the fastball, the late movement that we always talk about, Larry, that, you know, makes the eyes of the hitters go crazy. Um, For Familia, Familia has to get back to throwing that sinking fastball because that is his bread and butter. He fell too much in love with the slider, and he wasn't throwing the slider well because he wasn't extending his delivery. Now, Tansis last year was kind of a mixed bag because he was hurt, and he came to spring training in Port St. Lucie, only hitting the low 90s. I've seen this summer camp, him come to the mid, even to high 90s, and he has that great you know, slider as well that he throws. So to me, when I look at these three, I say to myself, I'm pretty sure that Diaz and Batances will rebound. I'm not so sure about Familia. Mm-hmm. So that's the way I look at it. And I say to myself, if those two rebound and you have Justin Wilson and you can afford to put Lugo in, in the pen until Stroman gets right. So, yes, I do think Lugo would be a loss for the bullpen's depth. But I do think you have some arms out there that aren't exactly rookie novices that all have closed. Familia, Diaz, and Batances have all closed in their careers. Every single one of them, as has Seth Lugo. But my point is that you got some experience down there. Is it a risk taking Lugo and putting him in the rotation? Yeah, it's a risk. But I think it's a risk worth taking because if you bring a young pitcher into that fifth spot, you're going to be taxing that bullpen and overloading them anyway because that guy's only going to go four or five innings. So you might as well take the leap and put Lugo in the rotation. That's the voice of Rich Catino, covers the uh, Mets for us at 98.7 ESPN. You can also read him at the New York Extra. It's ESPN New York tonight on 98.7 ESPN. Rich, what has happened to Robinson Cano? I get so many calls about him. I look at him, and he just looks like he, he looks like the late Bert Sugar used to always say, boxers get old walking into the ring sometimes. And, and he mm. just looks like he has aged so much, Rich. What is going on with him? When I watch him, you know what I think of, Larry? Roberto Alomar. Okay. And they both were great hitters in their prime. Mm-hmm. Probably one of the top four or five hitters in all of the game and how they approached it. But to me, the bat looks slow. And that doesn't mean he can't perform. Mm-hmm. Because I think he's a good he, – he does use the opposite field. But 
it's not that stinging bat. You know, even when Robinson Cano got singles when he was on the Yankees, they were like those, you know, low line drive singles that if you, that if you close your eyes for a second, you'd miss it. It'd be the, to the outfield of the time your eyes reopened. Mm-hmm. And I don't see that hit from Cano anymore. Forget about the doubles and the homers that he hit. I know we haven't seen that either, but that hard single down the right field line or the one between the first baseman and the second baseman that I saw, you know, on almost a daily basis while he was a Yankee, I just don't see him hitting that way anymore. And I think the Mets are going to, in deference to him and thinking what he can rebound, he's going to start the season at second base. But I don't think the Mets are going to, in a 60-game truncated season, wait too long. And if he starts not performing, you could see Jeff McNeil at second base, Mm -hmm. and you could see J.D. Davis have a regular spot at third. And, you know, that's that's assuming Ioannis Cespedes is playing some outfield. If Cespedes is DHing and J.D. Davis is, you know, in left field then, then, you know, you're going to have to find someone to play some of those uh, infield positions. Now, they picked up Dozier today, which I think was a good pickup. They also picked up Juan Ligaris and Dozier. Um, Dozier, I think, is a guy that I don't think he's an unbelievable defensive player in any of the three infield positions he could play, second, short, or third. But I do think he's a proven bat that has provided offense wherever he's been. So, that's a possibility that you can put McNeil, keep McNeil third. You can put a Dozier at second base. And then if Cespedes is playing left field, fine. You DH J.D. Davis or vice versa. You play J.D. Davis in left and DH Cespedes. But I don't think the Mets are going to wait too long for Cano. In a 60-game season, if by the 20th game of the season, they're, not seeing, they're seeing the same Robinson Cano they saw last year. I expect the Mets to make that infield change because I don't think they're going to give him more than a 20 to 25 game period to write a ship. I agree with you. Uh, Rich, will they find similar to the Yankees with Miguel Andujar? Will the Mets find a place for Dom Smith to be able to get into that lineup? You know, that's another guy that, that you got to get at bats for. And I think they're going to have to be a little creative and they can, they can DH him some. They could play him at first and DH Pete Alonso on his quote days off. But they got to find some at bats for him. The thing that I'm seeing more and more with Dominic Smith over the last 24 months is his pitch selection has has increased in a positive way so much. He lays off those curveballs in the dirt. He wasn't doing that in his first go around. Um, and he's not afraid of hitting the ball where it's pitched. Um, and then last year, of course, he returns to the lineup and hits a grand slam in the final at bat of the season. I think Smith has to get some at bats, and you have to find creative ways to do that. With the DH, you have more of a chance for that. And sometimes, you know, these things end up working themselves out through attrition, Larry. I mean, mm-hmm. the one thing we all have talked about in this truncated season, we've talked about what the COVID aspects will be to it. And we've seen some of it, players opting out and players testing positive, and we've seen all that. But I think the thing everyone's missing is this camp was shortened. You had half a spring training earlier in the year and got cut off, and now you're asking players to get ready in a much shorter time than they're used to. And you're going to see those muscle aches, and you're going to see those, you know, torn muscles or strained muscles. And I think – 
the depth of a team is going to test that. I mean, how do we not know that Cespedes, after 10 games, is going to say, you know, my feet are feeling not 100% anymore. Mm. I need a couple of days off. And that's the time you put Dominic Smith in the lineup and get him at bat. So one thing I found out in covering baseball in the last 30 years is, you know, you look at rosters and you say, oh, how's this guy going to get at bats? It always kind of has a way of working itself out. It's kind of the wonderment and greatness of the game of baseball. If Dominic Smith is going to get at bats, he'll get it because he'll earn it or he'll get it because he's given an opportunity because people are hurt. And with this two-pronged issue we have with baseball this year, where we have the COVID issue, but we also have the players do having to do a lot more to get ready for the season in a shorter amount of time, I think injuries will become a big factor as we go forward. And, um, and I think when you have extra hitters on the bench that can perform, I think they'll find their bats. Rich Catino, always love hearing from you and give us giving us great information. It's going to be interesting. The season is finally starting. I, I had my doubts that we would be at this place, but we're just a couple of days away. The Mets will be hosting Atlanta at City Field. Rich, continued success. We'll talk to you down the line. It should be a good opener. Jacob DeGrom is the Tom Seaver of the young fans of, of Mets generation. So it'll be great to see him pitch on opening day. Absolutely. All right, Rich, take care. Talk to you soon. You, you too, buddy. Take care. You are listening to the ESPN New York Tonight podcast with Larry Hardesty on 98.7 ESPN. Off to the phones we go. 1-800-919-3776. Sonny's in Freehold. Sonny, you're next on 98.7. Hey, Larry. What's going on, man? Pleasure to be on with you. You smooth as warm butter, so I'm loving the chance to uh, to get to talk to you. How's everything going tonight? Everything's going great, Sonny. Thanks for the kind words. What can I do for you, my friend? Yeah, listen. Uh, I'm, I'm a diehard New York fan through and through, minus uh, football Dallas Cowboys. I know, I know. But listen. I, I, I'm, I'm hearing these polls and I'm hearing a lot of things that you're speaking about. And I just want to chime in with what I think the problem with New York sports is. And I think mm-hmm. the expectations that people, the people, fans, the papers, everyone puts on Garrett Cole to go out tomorrow and look like a Cy Young candidate from day one. I think it's unfair. I think it's unfair to put that type of expectation on this guy. What I want to see from him tomorrow is go out, Execute pitches, make your teammates better, have the team behind you, make people believe, all right, look, this is, you know, we, we might not be seeing the best. I don't need to see the best of Garrett Cole tomorrow on game one. When I need to see the best of Garrett Cole is when we're getting down the stretch and it's September. And I feel like it's unfair for people to come out and have these expectations because you and I both know what's going to happen. The guy goes out tomorrow, pitches five innings strong, gives up a couple hits, gives up a couple runs. And next thing you know, what, what's the front page of the paper the next day? This guy's a big bust. We got eight more years of him. You know what you're going to get when the, time, when, the, when, the, when the game is on the line and it's playoff time and it's time to, to really, when the big boys come out to play, you know what Garrett Cole's going to bring. So mm-hmm. tomorrow what I want to see is someone who's going to execute, keep the ball low in the zone. You know what I mean? Show flashes of that greatness. But I don't need to see your Cy Young best uh, game one. These guys are dealing with, you know, the same things we all are, right? Uncertainty, start, go, back, forth, right? Like, mm-hmm. you need to – we're going to ease into this. And, and, and I tell you, and I tell all my Yankees fans, everyone out there, 
trust me, when the lights come on and it's September and October comes around, you know that you're going to get your money's worth with this guy. So stop putting the pressure on him right now. He's a pro. He's a pro's pro. He's going to do his thing. And uh, all I want to see is someone who commands the zone, you know, gets his teammates fired up, and, uh, you know, we'll be ready to go when, when really the lights come on and it's a little later in the season. You're going to see the best of them. Sonny, you make some great points. Thanks for the phone call. Um, I agree with you to a point. I, I do think that we do put a lot of pressure on our athletes uh, in New York. Uh, but here's the thing, and I'll say this. Yes, Garrett Cole, when you look at, uh, as Michael K loves to say, the back of his baseball card, he's been outstanding. But so have other pitchers who have been brought here. And I will grant you that they are not on paper have been to the level of Garrett Cole in his prime. I think the closest probably would be Randy Johnson, but Randy Johnson was not that way in his prime. Uh, Mike Messina was very good when the Yankees brought him here. There's no question about that. And he pitched well. Won 20 games once for them, but he he gave them representative starts. He was consistent every time out. But this is a little different because this is a guy that you paid a lot of money for. So I agree with you in what you're saying. I do. That if he gives you just win, representative start, quality start is good. Quality start is good. But um, I've spoken to some Yankee fans, my friend, who are looking for Domination. Eric's in Dutchess County. Hey, Eric, you're next on 98.7. Hey, Larry, uh, you're kind of swelling my head up. You read my tweet two nights in a row now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but uh, no. Yeah, my my thing is that uh, what I expect versus what I want out of a guy like Garrett Cole, Hmm. uh, you're you're very happy with with a quality start. Because because of guys like Brown, because of guys like Weaver, because of guys like Sonny Gray, you're, if he goes out and gives you a quality start, you're thrilled with that. But what you want is it is seven plus innings. You want ten strikeouts. You want one two runs. And that's what you want. That's what you want to see for that money. But what you expect, what you need to get, is a quality start. Okay, I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. Yeah. Um. It it it's so interesting, Eric. And thanks for the phone call. And keep 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 tweeting. <laughs> thanks for the call. It, it's interesting because I think that's he. I think Eric hit it. You'll t- you you love the quality start. Mentally, you'll go in. Look, if he gives me a quality start, that's great. I'm I'm very happy. But in the back of your mind, you 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 kind of want that domination, right? You're kind of looking for him to just mow the Nationals down. Michael's in the Bronx. Michael, you're next on 98.7. Well, hey, Larry. I love the show, by the way. Great job. Thank you, Michael. Appreciate it. Um, The thing about Garrett Cole, Garrett Cole is a superstar. I expect, well, I know he will get at least five strikeouts tomorrow. He could do it in his sleep. It's For people like that, at that level, it's just as easy as breathing. But... I what I want as a Yankee fan, and you could probably tell I'm not that old. I'm only 18. Mm-hmm. I have not seen a world. Well, I don't remember a World Series win. I, I hear my father talking about all oh, the Yankees. Oh, they win nine World Series in my lifetime. All of this. I haven't seen that Yankee ever. What I've seen is me- mediocrity my whole life. I want Derek Garrett Cole to when the lights turn on. 
he turns on too. Mm-hmm. That's all I want. I don't care if he demolishes or he gets demolished this game. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. They could, the, the Yankees can go in as a wild card for all I care. If they win that World Series, that would be the best thing ever. Because I, I grew up in the Bronx, and I lived near Yankee Stadium most of my life. Mm-hmm. I, used, I used to remember walking past Yankee Stadium and be like, wow, this is really the, this represents the Bronx. But now it's just like, I, I don't know what to think anymore. It's just, I probably expect them to lose. <laughs> to be honest. Michael this, is, Michael, this is so rare to hear from a Yankee fan, but you're young. So I, so I understand your perspective. You, 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 um, you know, you heard about 09, <laughs> right? You I heard about 09. That. And then you you missed the uh, the glory days of the late '90s and the early 2000s, and so and thanks for the phone call. So for you, you're like, listen, um, I won the World Series, I won the championship. If he just wins tomorrow night, good. He can just win all he wants. When we get to October, that's what I'm looking for, and that's why one of your poll choices are wake me in October. Because I know there's a number of you who are like this this regular season, even though it's a little tricky because it is a 60 game and 67 day season. But and and so, you know, you want to get off to the good start. You want to be you want to have wins in your pocket. You don't know what's going to happen. Injuries could pop up. You want to get off to the quick start. You don't want that pressure of saying, oh, what's wrong with the Yankees? Look, all this. Look at this great team, blah, blah, blah. The great pitching. I don't know. You want to get off winning, but I understand what you're saying. Just, just get you to the postseason, and you'll be okay. I got you. <laughs> I really do. Richardson, Manhattan. Hey, Richard, you're next on 98.7. Larry, last time the Yankees took a pitcher that beat them in the World Series the previous season, let's see if you remember, 1976, he turned out to be a dud, got hurt. Uh, After the Reds beat the Yankees in 76, they took their best pitcher from the staff. Don Gullett? You got it. Don Gullett. Very good, Larry. Very good. Larry, you know, I'm a kid of the 60s, so Mm -hmm. I grew up listening to baseball, listening Mm -hmm. all the time. We couldn't stay up and watch the games most of the time. We listened. So the other night... Three nights, three nights in a row, I listened to the two Met games and the Yank- and the uh, Philly game against the Yankees with uh, John Sterling and uh, Susan Waldman. Larry, mm-hmm. if I woke up yesterday, I would not know anything was wrong. Listening yeah. on radio, the game is exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Listening to Susan and John, they're in fine form. Their stories, they tell the stories. They, you know, the games are the same, and you don't know anything. Listening yeah. on radio. So I yeah. tell all those who think that, I mean, I, I'm sure if I'm starting to watch the games, I think they're creepy and weird and different enough. It's going to take time to get used to Now, I'm not going to say anything about the other sports yet. I haven't delved into that yet, obviously. Mm-hmm. But the uh, baseball games, if you listen on radio, you won't know the difference at all. So that's a good thing. Larry, I got another thing for you. Yes, go ahead. Uh, a couple of weeks ago with, you know, Black Lives Movement going on. And mm-hmm. on the other station, uh, Dave Sims was on, and they were talking mm-hmm. about black broadcasting. Mm-hmm. Let me bring you back in history, Larry. Do you remember the, I mean, this is what I remember, early 70s, the first black broadcaster who was a color commentator. And I think if this guy would have stuck to it, he would have been one of the greatest color commentators, black, black ball player, one of the greatest, probably the greatest ball player of all time. He was so great to listen to, easygoing. 
Uh, he did. The, I'll never forget. He did the seventy-two championship season, uh, series. Yeah, uh, Knicks and uh, Celtics. Who am I talking about? I don't. Remember, I can't call the now, name. Now the money back then wasn't good, so that's why he probably got out. He went back to coaching and general managing. Bill Russell. Yes, of course. Oh, he yeah, was he great, was Larry. But you know he what? Was, he got so much criticism. On the he way, got on TV? a lot of criticism. Oh, yeah, he got a lot oh, of criticism. Oh, back then, uh, he yeah, did. he did, he did. There was, there was a as he went further on, he got a lot of criticism. But Richard, he was you know, so I've easy seen, to listen to, oh, he and was. he laughed at himself and laughed. At I remember Goodrich was killing Monroe, and he says, yeah. "I think Gail Goodrich found a live one." I yeah. guess back then you couldn't talk like that, but you don't talk like that nowadays. I mean, he criticized the place. I'll give you another one. I remember, mm-hmm. and it was only a short while in football. Uh, Jim Brown paired with. George Allen. Now, George Allen might have just gotten fired by the L.A. Rams before he went to Washington, uh-huh. or it might have been after his Washington stint. I don't remember. Yeah. But I remember Jim Brown and uh, George Allen. Can you remember that? Can you imagine that two commentators like that on a, on a football broadcast? Wow. You no. Know. Larry, one more <laughs> for you. One more. Yeah, go ahead. Who do you remember? The college, black college broadcaster who did the color commentator in early 70s, mid-70s. And I'll give you a hint. He teamed with Don Crinky, did the NITs, did a lot of college basketball. I'll give you another hint. He was from Philadelphia. Known Sunny for Hill? his Philadelphia, Philadelphia tournament. He the only person his... that comes to my mind is Sonny Hill. That's it, Sonny Hill. Wow, Sonny Hill was gotta... great. He was great. Sonny Hill was outstanding. He knew his basketball. He was very yes, honest. He was. I remember the Princeton team in 75 won the NIT, and he mm-hmm. was criticizing Armand Hill the whole series because he said he was taking too many shots, and he was, you know, he was going against the Princeton uh, pass the ball around offense. So yes. he, <laughs> uh, he was good. Son, man, those guys back then were so honest to listen they were. to. They were. Oh, Sonny Hill they was really great. Were. All they right, really Larry, were. always a pleasure. Same here, my friend. Good talking right, to you. Same talk, talking to you. Um, Cal Ramsey, of course. Uh, for many years, play-by-play uh, analyst on TV for the Knicks. Uh, there's been a number of, of great broadcasters. I, I had the pleasure of working with a, uh, a legend in Hal Jackson, the late, great Hal Jackson, who, who most of you will remember as a DJ, but also broadcasted sports and um, had the opportunity to, to do some, some play-by-play. And obviously the great Art Russ Jr. as well, who, uh, you know, just, just so many great memories of, of African-Americans who were very good, who had the opportunity. Um, even Bill Daughtry has done a little play-by-play. I remember him doing some play-by-play. Well, did, did a couple of Knicks games, if I remember correctly. You are listening to the ESPN New York Tonight podcast with Larry Hardesty on 98.7 ESPN. 